one last week on this, which is good because it means hopefully, I reckon it'll be a pretty short sermon today. Uh, it's hot weather, it's, uh, we can hang out. So um, this is sort of part two. Uh, last week we looked at Genesis 2 and the rise of how um, God makes humans and he um, makes them very good and gives them all these wonderful things to do. And he makes um, beauty and abundance and food for them to, to eat and gives them um, work to care and cultivate um, the, the land and the animals. And he gives uh, marriage and this sort of one flesh union um, and this equality between Adam and Eve, but this difference, um, this leadership role to name the animals, this responsibility, um, sexuality. Uh, there's all this good stuff. And then um, it comes crashing down. And so today's about sin. And um, I've spent the week focusing on sin, so um, pray for me. Uh, ended up growing a moustache. I don't know if that was, um, that was you know, connected. But um, I, I mentioned last week uh, our couch, our Moran couch, which is a really fancy um, couch that we got um, from some friends. But it's, um, it's not so fancy anymore. It's got, like, rips and, like, fades. And um, I don't know if it's Matisse's fault for jumping on the couch. It's probably more my fault, um, but uh, when I found out this was all like a fancy couch and like it was fr- from this brand that I'd never heard of, Moran, I was like, moron, oh, Moran. Um, I found out, oh, it's really good. I want to, I need to like get it fixed or like take better care of it, and like I don't know how to make it better, so I'm gonna have to contact Moran, who are like in Cheltenham or or something, and. Um, and get them to like, uh, re, uh, like remake the cushions and I don't know if there's springs in there or I don't understand it. I'm going to have to take it back to the maker and say, if I want this to be remade, to be, to be as good as new, to be very good like it was originally made, then I'm going to have to bring it back to you because I don't know how to fix it myself. And we don't know how to fix ourselves. We have to go back to God. And so sin is... Um, is the doctrine of our brokenness, of um, our uh, fallibility, our failure, our, our flaws, the fact that we're, we're not in, in good working order. Death itself comes into the, the earth in Genesis 3. Um, so evil seems to already be there because the serpent, it says, um, was, was crafty and had some kind of plan in mind to... Um, to deceive, but but humans, and we're looking at humans in our Epiphany series, um, which I'll, I'll sort of touch on a bit later because we're going to um, move from Epiphany to Lent. Um, but as far as humans are concerned, this is uh, our fall. This is when the human condition goes from very good to uh, not so good at all. In fact, we have death and disease and disaster and deception and um, all kinds of um, dark themes that run through the human story that um, seemingly weren't there uh, until till this moment. So I want to address the, the problem of sin, the origins of sin, the, like the birth of sin, how it, how it sort of begun, the way it fractures, and then the, the way uh, the fall is, is sort of um, infects everything and everyone and it's passed down. Uh, but then there's also some good news to sin. It's, it's not something that I want to celebrate. Sin is not like, um, 
not this wonderful, like, oh, it's so good that we have the doctrine of sin because it's, it's like, no, sin is, is horrendous. But because God is good, there's even some good news to understanding sin well. Um, I don't think we should identify um, our, like, human, like, who we are as purely sinners. I think we're made in the image of God and we're sinful. And so it's this um, sort of balancing act, this dance, that we have to hold these two theologies together, that we are um, completely uh, sinful, completely fallen. Um, We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of of who we were uh, originally made to be. And yet we're we're His good creation as well. So um, the problem of sin, we see um, basically that uh, the serpent wants to convince the woman that what God said is not actually good for her. He, he says basically, um, did God really say? He's like, he's trying to insinuate like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to listen to God? Are you, do, you, do you reckon he really thinks this? He's, he's trying to say, um, if we look at verse 4, like, I don't think you're actually going to die. Like, I actually think God, if God said that, and if he even has, he first plants the seed like, did he really say? Then he starts to move to saying, well, if he said that, maybe it's because he doesn't want you to become like him. Uh, he's actually jealous that if you eat it, you'll be like him. And so he's, he's trying to undermine God's authority, God's goodness, God's kindness to humans, God's provision. Remember, that God gave Adam and Eve an abundant provision. He gave them anything to eat. And, and he said, there's this one thing you can't. And what, what sin is, at its most basic, is its uh, disobedience to God, is to live not in God's way. It's, um, it's to reject God as God, to reject God as ruler and uh, author, authority, is to reject his authority because he's the author of creation, and it's to say, no, 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 that's not right. You know, we've all um, heard that, you know, Jess is writing a book at the moment. And if I say to Jess, no, 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 change the story. What's she going to say to me? She's going to say, are you the author or am I? Right? Like, the author gets to decide. And so when God authors the story, when he writes the story of creation, and his, his images, his people, his children, reject his ways, reject his commands, that is sin at its, at its root. It's rejection of God. It's to go against God. And, and we can see um, inside of, of this elements of, you know, you might have heard, uh, there's no I in team, but there's an I in sin. It's in the middle. So sin is about I. It's, it's pride. And at some level, there's pride here, God. Like, Eve wants to do something, become something more. Um, there's, there's greed here. That it's like, I don't have enough. You know, God's given me everything, but it's not enough. There's discontentment. Um, there's, there's trusting, like f- trusting authorities that we shouldn't listen to. Like um, Adam and Eve were to be over the animals. And all of a sudden, Eve's allowing the animal to sort of dictate her, her decisions. There's um, passivity. Adam, you'll see in a bit, um, is there, 
and yet he just didn't do anything about it. Like Adam had the command from God and he just said nothing. And the Lord um, said to, to Adam, what's happened? He's like, oh, the woman, she did it. And I just ate it. Like he's completely passive. Um, he, was, he was there. He was, he was with her. It says in verse 6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Like he was there and he did nothing. So there's all these different elements of sin, greed, discontentment, pride, passivity, um, trusting someone who's not meant to be uh, above you, distrusting God, but ultimately disobedience to God. Writing him out of the story, taking him off the throne. Carson calls it the de-guarding of God, making him no longer God and making yourself the ultimate authority, the, the author of your own story instead of, of him. So the, the origins of sin is that um, the serpent tries to tempt Eve. And, and the way he tempts her is by, by sort of playing at her desires. Now notice that it doesn't say, I always like to see what does it say and what doesn't it say. It doesn't say that her desires were bad. It doesn't say that, um, like, she really wanted that thing she wasn't meant to have because she's full of uh, lustful, gluttonous temptation, right? Which is sometimes how the, the Adam and Eve story is painted in, like, culture. Like, the, the apple's dripping and it's, like, very kind of um, sensual and, and dark. It doesn't say her desires were bad. It actually says that the food was pleasing to the eye. It was good for food. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. These are all good things. The one thing that wasn't good is that God had said that you weren't meant to touch it, that you weren't meant to eat it. God had said you weren't meant to eat it. What Satan does is, um, and I should, I'll get to that in a second, that the serpent is Satan, because I haven't said that yet. But um, uh, when the serpent said, did God say um, you must not eat, the, the actual translation is, um, he's trying to say, like, did God say you shouldn't touch it? And he's, he's twisting God's words. So the woman says, oh, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And then you must not touch it or you'll die. And it's like, God never said anything about touching it. All of a sudden, the serpent's just making God's word like shaky. And all of a sudden, Eve's kind of s saying something that's a bit uh, off the truth. And, and so the, the way uh, temptation works is it, it begins to um, make shaky your confidence in God's word, in God's goodness. All of a sudden, he's putting doubts in her mind. Is God really good? Is God's command really the best for you? Does God have his best in mind for you? So, so the way temptation works is, is not that, oh, we have such bad desires and our hearts um, are so bad that we're just going to go for awful things. It's that God made us with desires. God made us for food. God made us for beauty. What is evil is to disobey God. It's not necessarily like our hearts that are evil. It's disobedience 
that is evil. And what's going to happen is when we get to the fall is that it's going to become a part of the human condition that we all are prone to wander, as the hymn says. We're all prone to, to doubt God's goodness and to doubt God's command and to, to disobey. So um, the serpent basically tricks her, tempts her, um, says, I don't think you'll die. I think God's going to get jealous. And so the woman, she goes for it and she gives some to her husband and... Um, uh, just really briefly, the serpent, uh, it says later on in Revelation, if you want to do some research, um, that this, that wicked serpent is called the Satan. So in Revelation 12, it actually connects the serpent and the Satan. And um, the Satan is one of the names for this evil um, being, this devil. Uh, there's illusions, only brief illusions in the scriptures that it's like this fallen angel, ever so brief illusions. But there's, a, I think, a, a legitimate theology um, that that's sort of the origin story of, of the devil. But um, there's this creature that's not a competitor to God. It's not like good God, bad God or something. It's a creature below God, but that wants to wreak havoc and, and evil on society. And um, the serpent takes on that role and, and causes havoc. Um, this is the origin of sin. Uh, the fracturing of sin, so the problem of sin is disobedience. The origins of sin is, is temptation to distrust and, and to get shaky and to then disobey. Uh, it comes from the Satan, it comes from the darkness, the devil. The way it fractures is really severe. Remember how it said uh, in Genesis 2 they were naked and unashamed? naked and unashamed, like beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of sexuality, it's a beautiful picture of just goodness, of, of everything that's made is fine, we don't need to cover up. But verse 7 says, as soon as they ate it, the eyes of both of them were open, they realised they were naked, and they were no longer naked and unashamed, they were naked and ashamed. They, they grabbed the nearest thing, fig leaves, and made coverings for themselves. It doesn't say they grabbed the nearest fig leaves, did some design and started like strutting on like the, the Garden of Eden red carpet. Um, it's just coverings. It's not like beautiful clothes. It's just something to cover up because I'm ashamed. All of a sudden, uh, human freedom, human unashamedness, nakedness, our full authentic selves, like how we come into the world as a baby, all of a sudden that becomes something not to be um, enjoyed but to be sort of hidden from. Shame enters the story. We then see that um, their, their connection with God is, is fractured. That all of a sudden God and them are not this sort of beautiful, harmonious um, family that, that God is like, where are you? You're, you're distant from me. He calls to the man, verse 9, where are you? And the man answers, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So all of a sudden, this picture of harmony in Genesis 2, harmony between God and, and humans is, is broken. We've had the fracturing of, of human uh, nakedness and, and, and freedom and authenticity, the fracturing of the relationship between God. Uh, it, gets, it gets worse. The, the relationship between Adam and Eve is fractured. Uh, there's blame that happens. Um, 
Eve starts blaming, Adam starts blaming, they're like pointing the finger, they don't want to take responsibility. Um, The fracturing between them gets really serious when basically uh, it says the woman's desire is going to be for the man. It's going to be this kind of um, asymmetrical relationship when they were meant to be equals where like the woman wants to almost reach up to the man and the man is, is, is separated and there's this power imbalance and um, even like the way that gender relationships work to this very day where, where so often there's still a, a power imbalance and dysfunction between men and women is, is something that comes into it. Uh, the dysfunction of, of childbearing, something that God said, go forth and multiply. This beautiful thing all of a sudden becomes something that's going to be painful labor, that's going to be severe. The, um, the work that, that we were called to do is going to become something that's severe, something that's painful toil, that you're not going to just enjoy the fruit and enjoy cultivation and care of the land. There's going to be thorns and thistles and, and it's, going to, um, it's going to be sweaty, toilsome work. So all of the beautiful things, whether it was marriage, sexuality, uh, vegetation, abundance, beauty, relationship with God, leadership, work, all of these things that were so wonderful in Genesis 2 are now being fractured. And what was harmonious is now broken. There was harmony between God and humans, harmony between humans and humans, harmony between humans and the land. And all of that is fractured now and, and it's no longer harmonious. It's, it's often painful toil or, or distance or, or even like division and, and battle between uh, sometimes animals and humans or humans and humans or humans and God. And ultimately there's death. See, death never entered the picture until here. But God says, you're going to return to the ground where you came from. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. We didn't have a trajectory that you were heading on, but now you're going to go back to where you came from. And, And your mortality is going to become part of this story, that you were created from dust, but to dust you'll return. And death enters the fold. What's really fascinating, though, is that uh, God actually clothes them. So they put fig trees on really briefly, but then God clothes them because somehow God even has grace for them. And God says, like, look, now there is actually a a similarity between um, us and and humans, and so we've got to put some some real boundaries in place now. And we're banishing um, mankind from the Garden of Eden. They're going to toil now forever. They're going to be in search. And, and some have said, like, we're, we're always searching for Eden now. We're always trying to get back to that place. But just like the couch, we can't get back there ourselves. We can't bring ourselves back. We can't fix ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We can't clothe ourselves. We need grace. We need God. And so basically, the human condition continues. For, for the rest of, of human history to, to be impacted by the fall to the point where a lot of the New Testament and, and the Old Testament will basically say all have fallen short. 
Everyone is sinful. No one is righteous. Everyone has wickedness in them. And I I think this is um, probably more because Adam and Eve are our representative parents in that this is a story about Adam, which means human. And so it's telling a story that, that helps understand how all humans are, not necessarily because it was like this um, disease which was passed down uh, through each generation. And it's, it stays consistent. I think one way we can look at it is a disease, is an infection of humankind that only one person in all of history has been immune to and yet when he touches things, he makes them better. What, what happens is that this is the state of humanity. That, that we all inherit the consequences of the fall. Should we blame Adam and Eve like they blamed each other? I don't know. I think if it wasn't them, it would be the next one. Like, this is the human condition. This is unfortunately part of, of where we're at. Now, sin, uh, as far as its effects on the world, um, are not just like uh, when we do something wrong to the other person and then they're hurt. The effects of sin are like that death exists, that disasters exist, that all of a sudden our relationship with the earth is no longer harmonious. So earthquakes weren't happening before then. Floods weren't happening before then. Volcanoes weren't erupting in dangerous ways before then. Illness wasn't happening before then. Death wasn't happening. Like, all these things, it's not just moral injustices against another person that are the effects of the sin. It's, it's all death, all disaster, anything that isn't harmonious. Creation worked in, in perfect harmony until disobedience to God wreaked havoc in the world and now the world does not always exist as God intended he has to put it back together again he has to fix it the maker is the only one who can fix it and so to finish I, I just want to suggest a couple of, of reasons why though this is sort of dark news and, and in some ways like a, a dark sort of end to our series there's some, there's some good news to knowing the story of sin because the fact that we're all sinners, the fact that we're all equally touched by sin means that there's this um, radical equality between all humans. That no one is better than another person. That the, the king and the slave, in the end, are both sinners, are both going to die, are both just as much under the, the infection, under the poison, under the power of sin. Now, in the brokenness of, of sin and in the way it affects society, um, that can have really intense consequences in this life and there can be great division between people and, and oppression and um, it can be really dark. But in the end, death is the great equaliser. We all die. And sin is, is a great equaliser. We're all sinful. We all need God. No one is better than anyone else. No one is more righteous than anyone else. C.S. Lewis said, the reason I, um, I think slavery is wrong is because of the doctrine of sin. 
because no one is good enough to actually be the boss of someone else. No one is good enough to actually be the boss of someone else in that way. The, uh, another d- element of, of the good news of knowing the story of sin is that it means we have to be dependent. We can't be the boss because we're not, we're not good enough. Like Lizzo the other day, um, don't worry, it's actually just not that relevant, but um, anyway, she did a speech at the Grammys being like, we're all good, we're all so good, I make positive music because we're all good, and I love Lizzo, like, great songs, good dancers, like, it's about damn time, but this sort of picture that, like, everyone's good is, like, sometimes leads to this, well, everyone should be able to do what they want, decide what they want. We're all made in the image of God, but we're all like we're all very broken and, and sinful and we actually need God. We can't we can't make the couch a beautiful couch again by ourselves. We can't fix these problems by ourselves. We're actually all dependent on, on someone greater than us. And so the final bit of good news is that well God is gracious. And God is coming to put things back together. And God, even in Genesis 3, makes them garments of sin and clothes them. He even, in the story of sin, says, I'm going to help you. And this is the beginning of God's movement towards humanity, where he is helping and helping and, and trying to reconcile, trying to reconcile relationship between God and humans trying to reconcile relationship between humans and other humans. He's trying to reconcile relationship even between humans and the earth. And in Jesus, he's, he's actually going to put things back together and one day in the new creation, make everything right again. And every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone will once again live in obedience. Or not once again, for the first time, live in complete obedience to God. Because his ways are the best ways. He's the designer. He's the maker. He knows how this is meant to work. And so um, we're, we're at the end of, of Epiphany. Uh, and we do the church calendar this year. And we had Advent, which was um, the season leading into the arrival of Christ. And then Christmas. And then Epiphany is uh, a time in the church calendar where we, we think of the way God reveals himself to humans. And so we've been talking about um, the human condition in this series and the origins of the human story. But this Wednesday, um, it's Ash Wednesday. And what's actually really interesting is on Ash Wednesday traditionally, and I asked Jess, I was like, at Cell Group, should I do like an old school Ash Wednesday thing where we like put ashes on everyone's forehead? And she's like, that is weird, man. Don't do it. And I was like, maybe next year. We'll just give it some time. But... um, at like a, um, an old school Ash Wednesday service, or if you go to like an Anglican church or something this Wednesday, if you decide to instead of cell group, um, they'll actually paint ash on your head and they'll recite a verse from Genesis 3. They'll say, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Because Lent is, is a season where we start to remember our death and our mortality because Jesus came and died for us. And Lent is the season where we consider the cross and the crucifixion and the death of God who died so we wouldn't have to anymore. Who died 
to take the place of our death. And so we think of death, we think of, of our, our dustiness, and that to dust we will return. And so, so we're going to enter a season now where we consider the cross. And in some ways, when we consider the cross, we're going to be um, considering sin and evil and the way that, um, that it twists God's design and God fixes it through the cross. And so we're going to spend like um, the next uh, month and a half considering why did Jesus die and what are the pictures in the Bible, like the atonement pictures, whether it's um, substitution or victory or he paid the ransom. Some of these um, great biblical uh, pictures, motifs, they're often called, of what the cross achieves and how it fixes the problem of sin and the problem of death and the problem of evil.